Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daru people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. I'd also like to acknowledge Mana Whenua of Te Awa Kairangi Kitai, where I'm recording today. Happy New Year! Happy New Year! It is a new year, and I always think of Attachments by Rainbow Rowell, Christine, who Lincoln's going through it, and, you know, he's like, oh, New Year, it's not that big a deal, but she says, it is, it's a chance to wake up new, and I always think of that every new year now, even though I'm still me, and I still have all my same goals. Yeah, it's just nice to have, like, it feels like a clean slate, right, where you can be like, doesn't yeah. matter what held me back last year, doesn't matter, we can just start again. Exactly. Like, yeah, you don't technically need it, but it helps. The ceremony of it helps. The ritual of it helps. And sharing it with mm. so many other people is what makes it special. There are lots of other people going, hey, what can I do differently this year? Which is kind of cool. And just reorientate yourself because you, you know, get so lost in the everyday weeds <laughs> of the life, right? So it's nice to have yeah. an excuse to just be like, I'm just going to focus. And I think especially for us in the Southern Hemisphere, because we have such a big break between Christmas and New Year. Yeah. Like... In other countries, especially in the Northern Hemisphere, people take off time over Christmas, but they don't have these long breaks that we do well into January. You know, people don't go yeah. back to work until like sometimes the end of Jan because it is yeah. summer, it is school holidays. And so you've got this massive break. So it is a nice rejuvenating starting over feeling. Yeah. My husband's company um, where he works, they go on shutdown. So he is not due back until tomorrow, which is like almost two thirds of the way through January. He hasn't actually yeah. gotten to take all that leave because of various reasons but um he was supposed to have three weeks off which sounded really lovely at the beginning (laughs) and that's another thing like yeah it's another thing we don't often get the choice about whether we want to be on leave or not because the companies do shut down so it's like you just have to go basically yeah it's um because uh in australia and i think in new zealand you get four weeks annual leave right Mm -hmm. like that's just the amount you get so like having three weeks of it chewed up by Christmas actually sucks but (laughs) yeah I've always resented the fact that companies close like they shut down the office shuts down so you can't go to work that should just be bonus leave that shouldn't be come out of your annual leave because you can't work if you wanted to I agree and if you're going to be there like if you want to be there you should get paid a little bit like you're doing time and a half or something like you should get a bonus for having to come in during that time um, also, for yeah. people who don't celebrate the holidays, like they have to deal with having Christmas jammed down their throats all of, all of November and December. So I think they should get a little bit of extra time if they don't actually celebrate and want the time off. Just my thoughts. No, I agree. <laughs> Give everybody more money. The people who work there deserve all the money. Bonus leave. More Bonus leave. Less work. That's my uh, platform vote for me. That's yes. what you'll get. <laughs> when we're the benevolent dictators of the world, that's what we'll implement. Absolutely. Hey, what sparked joy for you this week? I've had a very terrible couple of weeks, actually, but there were a couple of really nice moments. Um, So I got some time on Friday morning to just go by myself to a cafe and journal, which I don't get to do very often because of the whole, you know, pandemic. But I figured it'd be okay if I went and sat outside somewhere and had a coffee. So I did. Um, And I took my kids out for meatballs at Ikea on Wednesday, which is always a fun thing, even though they're now at the age where they're like, I want this and I have to say no. I want this. No, okay. Oh. So by the end of it, I was very done, but the meatball part was really nice. Um, and then my son told me a great joke that I really want to share with you. Would you like to hear a joke? Sure, go for it. Okay, what do whales eat for lunch? What? Fish and ships. Oh. <laughs> 
it's such a bad joke. I love it so much. And I'm so proud of him for finally figuring out how jokes work. Like, this is a big deal. It's a huge milestone. Adorable. So what about you? What sparked joy for you this week? Um, Honestly, I just feel like the joy of being alive in general this week. Is that a weird thing to say? It's just felt like, even though I had to go back to work and stuff, I just felt really just happy with my lot in life. And so that was just nice to not be like dreading going to work, dreading getting up in the morning, dreading going to the gym, dreading having to feed myself. Everything just gelled this week, which felt really nice. Mm. And then yesterday and today, I've been doing a lot of home DIY with my homie, which was really fun. And like yesterday was so stressful because we decided to put up a washing line, which we thought was going to be easy, but transpired to be the hardest thing we've done. Like we've put up shelves in the house and all sorts of things, but putting up this washing line is without oh a doubt the hardest thing we've done. We were is still it... doing it at nine o'clock last night, but oh you know, it's up. It's currently Yay. in use. My laundry Yay. is on it. Hmm. So yeah. Is it like a fixed line or like a hills hoist? It's one of those that lift up. So it's a hills, it's the brand, oh, but it like put it folds down. Yeah. I have one of those by my beds. It's amazing. I also have the like 70 year old two and a half meter arm length like it's massive. It's got five lines on it. It's from before the war, I think. I think it's going to outlive me. <laughs> Um, but I had to get it repaired a few years ago and the guy who came and did it was like, oh, they don't make these anymore because they're in the old money, which means imperial, not metric. And I was like, oh, I don't ever want it to break because like you, it's really hard to put a clothesline up. It's not easy or fun. Um, really thought it was going to be easier than it was. Yeah. yeah. Comes in a box. So you're like, oh yeah, flat back. It'll be fine. No, it was not fine. We had to adjust the width of it, so we had to go buy a hacksaw oh. and cut it, which was very stressful because they had to be the same correct lengths. Right. So it was a whole thing. And like hacksawing away at iron or metal, turns out not easy, not an easy job. It's quite hard on the old arms. Yeah. But yeah, no, it doesn't matter. It's up. It's fine. It's great. I'll take a photo of it and send it to you. I am so proud of you. That's amazing. You were doing so many awesome home things. Yeah, it's a lot of, does this right? I don't know. Let's just try and see. YOLO. Yesterday I was just YOLOing every five minutes. I'm like, YOLO. <laughs> It'll be fine. If it works for a year or two, you've you've gotten your use out of it, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm glad <laughs> you had a good week. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we're starting one of your favorite books, which is exciting. I mean, yes, I do. It's one of my favorites, but I do find it very hard to read. I've only read it, I think, twice because it pains me so much. So, yeah. yeah, this is the book that makes you like lie face down in the bog and wish for yeah. the bog water to cover you over. Yeah. Yeah. It hurts I, on every yeah. level. <laughs> I understand that. It was a hard one. Even this week's reading, I was just like, oh my gosh. Um, so we read the epilogue through chapter six of Wayward Son by Rainbow Rowell. That's what we're reading. Um, and we read the first part of it through the theme of choice, even though our overall theme is expectations. Um, and it's your turn to tell a story about choice if you would like to. Yes, yeah, so I was just thinking about a recent choice that I made, and this is, again, home-related. So I wanted to buy a house for a while now. Mm. And I wanted to buy it predominantly because I wanted to get a dog, and it's incredibly hard to own a dog and rent in New Zealand. It doesn't mm. really work, and I didn't want to take the burden of that on myself. So I was like, okay, you know, buy a house, get a dog, do the whole thing. And also because you assume that there's the, there's the expectation, the societal expectation, that's the next thing you do, right? And yeah. I was in a long-term relationship, so I was like, yep, we can buy a house together. It'll be great. My partner at the time was fine with it, but he was very unwilling, really, to engage. Like, I, he would go along to open homes and stuff, but he was a very, what's the word I'm looking for? Apathetic. 
Yeah, he was apathetic about the whole thing, didn't really offer any opinions, only the things he didn't like, which transpired to be everything, but didn't have any other suggestions about what he wanted. And as it, like, transpires, the reason for that is because he didn't actually want to buy a house. Whether he wants to buy a house at all, or whether he just didn't want to buy a house with me, whatever, you know, the relationship didn't work out for various reasons. And so, in retrospect, quite good that we didn't buy a house together. But he did waste two years of my life doing this, like saying that he wants to buy a house with me and yeah. then not doing it. So when the relationship ended, I was kind of like, well, you know, whatever. The housing market is what it is. I probably can't buy a house on my own. I was still sort of looking, but I was sort of thinking I would end up in an apartment or something like that. Still wanted a dog. Yeah. It would be difficult. I would make it work. Whatever. Pandemic hit. Sort of stopped looking. Faffing around for ages. And then... My homie, who I now live with, um, happened to also be looking for a house and she wanted to buy it with a friend of hers who then bought with someone else. And so she knew that I was looking and she was like, shall we buy a house together? Now, we've only known each other since 2020. Um, You know, we were friends, but we weren't like close mates or anything. We we worked in different teams. And there was this moment where I had to go, I had to really look at myself and go, is this something that I want? Is this actually a goal that I want to achieve? To the point that I'm willing to do it with someone else, right? This is a yeah. choice I have to make. Because I was living on my own. I love living on my own, as you know. Like, I'm a very individual, mm. solo person. So this would be a compromise for me in terms of how I live my life, I thought. And I was like, yeah, you know, whatever. Let's just try it. What's the worst that can happen? YOLO. <laughs> so ended up making this choice to do this thing. And... It was so much easier than when I was trying to look for a house with my ex. Like, she was carrying the burden of looking for houses with me. We were splitting the effort. We were going to open homes. We had a system to rank the homes. We knew what each other liked, what each other's priorities were. Mm. We knew where we were willing to compromise. Like, I was willing to compromise on location. She was willing to compromise on me having a bath. You know, all these things that we were willing to do. We knew that we wanted three bedrooms at least because I have a lot of guests visiting. So I want space for them. We wanted room for, you know, to work from home. All these things that we knew we wanted and that we were willing to wait for. And then obviously we ended up with the house that I'm currently in, which is perfect. Love it. It's a great little place. We're both very happy here. And it's just been a joy living together even. Like we've been living together, what, almost two months now. Yeah. And it's so nice. Like we go for brunch sometimes. We were very happy doing our own things, but we end up watching a lot of TV together. We watch a lot of HGTV, a lot of home reno shows. You know, obviously <laughs> we're doing a lot of DIY work together. Um, mm. And it's just worked out so well. And it's so funny how sometimes you make a choice based on the information that you have at the time, but you honestly don't know how it's going to pan out. And sometimes the choices that you think should be easy or the ones that you expect mm. to be easy aren't and the ones that you just make on the fly that you just trust your gut and just go yeah okay this feels right let's just do it those are the ones that work out the best and you just don't know you just have to take a punt so yeah that's my story about choice yay i love that i love that you got to have such a good experience finally after all of that like stress and anxiety and trying to make it worth work with your ex and then him not just being honest and saying like it's not going to work out so let's not do this Mm. He really did waste your time. It makes you really mad at him. Yeah, especially because, like, in terms of housing, I could have bought a way cheaper house by myself in 2018. Yeah. Or 2017, even, if he was just honest with me. But no. So now I have a more expensive house, but I'm splitting it with someone who actually genuinely enjoys my time and respects me as a person. Because I think that's what it comes down to in a lot of ways. Sometimes I just feel like he didn't respect me. You being your own person is, it's like such a wonderful thing, but people don't realize what a gift it is. Hmm. that you're willing to just go and be your own self like they think that 
Like it has to look a different way. You have to behave a different way. And they're wrong. You're amazing. No, thanks. But you know, like you look at your life and I'm like, this is perfect. I'm so happy. I'm just really happy with how this has turned out. I wouldn't have it any other way, really. So. Mm. Hmm. Oh, that's so good. Thank you for sharing. Um, would you like me to do the chapter summaries? Yes, please. Okay. Simon Snow is no longer a chosen one. He's struggling with some serious PTSD, and Baz and Penny are worried sick about him. Simon is pretty sure Baz hates him and is trying to work up the nerve to break up with him. Penny hatches a plan to revive their old idea of a great American road trip, partly to see Micah, her American exchange student boyfriend, and to get Simon off the couch. It kind of works. Simon is actually excited to be doing something. Meanwhile, Agatha is enjoying her green smoothie life in Southern California and wants literally nothing to do with Penny's repeated overtures, but her new friend Ginger has some convention she wants to drag Agatha to, so Agatha agrees. Hmm. <sighs> so much about choice here. Um, I feel like Simon is acting like he doesn't have a choice in breaking up with Baz, and Baz is acting like he doesn't have a choice but to stay with Simon, and they're at these cross purposes, and they stay this way pretty much the whole book. Yeah, it really, really hurts me because I feel like Simon tries to make the choice of being with him. He, he tries to take that choice away from Baz, right? He's like, yeah, you don't, not only do will I break up with you to save you the effort of breaking up with me because obviously you want to do that because I have no value as a person because that's what he mm. thinks, right? He has no self-esteem whatsoever. Yeah, But he also does things actively to push Baz away. Like he's always pushing him as if he wants to say... You know, I'll make it more palatable for you to leave. Like, be like, of yeah. course I don't want to be with you. Which is, I think, symbolized through the cider. The fact that he drinks the cider, has the cider all the time, even though he knows that Baz hates the cider. Yeah. But it really frustrates me that, you know, Baz actively chooses Simon over and over and over again. But he just doesn't know how to do it in the way that Simon actively sees. Like, Simon doesn't see yes. this choice. So, you know, when he says that Baz can't even look at him. You know, I yeah. see the way and the way he looks at me, or in the way he doesn't look at me. But Baz can't look at Simon because he thinks Simon looks at him and is disgusted with him and wants nothing mm. to do with him, and it hurts to look at Simon when he's like looking back at him like that. They're yeah. just misinterpreting each other so badly. Yeah, and oh, it's just like gosh. this is the problem with this book because it breaks my heart. Literally on page six, when Baz says, "I've loved him through worse. I've loved him hopelessly. So what's a little less hope?" And it's just. It punches a hole in my heart and then it just gets worse and worse for the whole book. Like that one line, it just always sticks with me. It's so heartbreaking because they both just think the other person despises them and it's the opposite. Yeah, and they're both like not doing anything to actually have the conversation, which would clear the air because they both think if they start the conversation, the other person will finally be like, oh, right, time to end this. So Simon's like working up the nerve to, to finally break up with Baz. And he's like, I'm going to use this quote, this Maya Angelou quote, so that he doesn't have to be stuck with me because I'm a loser. And Baz is like, he's such a loser, but I love him so much that I would never leave him. Like, it's just, they're both idiots. But I will say that Penny also makes that choice. Like both Baz and Penny makes a choice to treat Simon like everything is fine. Even mm -hmm. though they both know it's not. But they feel like they can't talk to him, which is actually really unhelpful. Like, the way they both pretend he's studying or that he's just doing things, they just never leave him alone. Yeah. It's not a helpful way to tr deal with someone who is that depressed. Like, I know it's difficult and you don't want to make it worse. You don't want to have a conversation because you're worried about making it worse. But sometimes what someone who is that depressed needs is for someone to have that hard conversation. Yeah, and just say, get yourself to therapy. Or stop being alone. Yeah. Get off the couch. We're going to have structure. We're going to have a routine. We're going to do these things. This is what we're going to do. You can't yep, just I am 
body continue doubling to lie to get your things yeah. done. Yeah. Like I Blood honestly switch. had this conversation with a friend of mine because her partner is very depressed and has been for months mm. and she's really worried about it. And I just had to sit her down and be like, look, I don't want to be rude, but you're enabling it by this point because you're just like molly coddling this person and what they actually need is some routine. So you can be like, okay, you're not going to stay up all night. You're going to get up with me in the morning. You're going to walk with me to work. Then you're going to get yourself a coffee. And if you do nothing else all day, that's absolutely fine. But I need you to do these things in the morning because you just need something. Otherwise, you will just lie in bed all day. Yeah. Yeah. And you do feel better. I hate to say it. When you're depressed, you do feel better if you get up and do the thing. Even if the yeah. thing is just taking a shower and cleaning your teeth. Sitting outside. That's yep, it. That's all you need to sunshine. do. Touching some grass, as the kids say. Because that's genuinely yeah. all you need, right? Shower, food, sunshine. You'll feel better. Mm-hmm. And sleep. Enough sleep. That's key, right? Yeah. And a good sleep schedule. If you feel like everyone hates you, take a nap. If you hate everyone, eat some food. If you hate yourself, have a shower. <laughs> There's like a little raccoon comic. I'll see if I can find it and link it in the show notes. Um, I kind of want to talk about how Simon is giving himself this feedback and he's taking all of this feedback that he's had his whole life and like the way that Baz is mean to him, which would normally be fine, but like because he doesn't know that Baz loves him, he just is like all of the mean things that Baz says is really sticky. So like on page mm. eight, he says, I really was a fraud. The worst chosen one who's ever been chosen, just like Baz used to say. He was right about me all along. And then he talks about how Baz fell in love with what he was, who he was, like power and potential. And now he's like the radioactive fallout because all of the good stuff about him is gone. He's really got this narrative that he is fundamentally worthless, as you said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but Baz being unable to be like, hello, I am vulnerable and I love you is really kind of a problem for the pair of them like it's not it doesn't give Simon what he needs and Baz doesn't know how to do it I don't think he just I don't I just don't think he knows how what do you what do you make of that yeah I agree I think they just don't know well not to be derivative but they don't know what each other's love languages are yet right so they like Baz thinks he's doing it in a way that makes sense but that's not how Simon needs to receive it in the same way that Simon thinks Baz knows and we'll see this in any way the wind blows as well. Like mm. Simon just assumes that Baz knows he, how he feels about him, but yeah. Baz doesn't see that. And what I thought was really interesting and I wanted to talk about is the expectation of behavior, but it's also a choice, the way you choose to behave around someone. Yeah. And what you think you're allowed to do and how that comes about, right? So on page six, there's this line from Baz where he says, um, six months ago, I would have walked to the sofa and touched his shoulders. Three months ago, I would have dropped a ch- kiss on his cheek. Last September, when he and Buns first moved into this flat, I would have had to pull my mouth away from his to ask the question he might not have let me finish. So this is deterioration in their relationship, right? He feels yeah, like he can't even... Yeah, it's gotten to the point where he feels like he can't even touch Simon. He can't even make eye contact with Simon because Simon is so inaccessible. Mm. And Simon reads that behavior as that he no longer cares about him, doesn't want to be with him. But Baz feels like he isn't allowed, right? So that's why he doesn't do it, because Simon pulls away from him. His worst habit, as he says, when they're waiting for the plane. And then there's this expectation around societal expectations, right? Like Simon is obviously uncomfortable with how others perceive their affection, right? Like he's still a bit like, oh someone's judging me for being with a boy in public yeah which is very worried about that which i think is fair because he doesn't really have an identity and later on in the book when they're at a ren fair and they're you know chests everywhere he's like i'm not mad about it you know like he's not 
he's not straight, but he's not like gay and he doesn't really want to give himself a definitive identity, which by the way is valid. Mm -hmm. Um, but he's so attracted to Baz and he only wants to be with Baz, but he also doesn't know how to navigate that in terms of like himself in public spaces. And on top of that, his wings and his tail mean that going out in public is really fraught for him. So his entire physicality all of the time in a public space is like a negotiation with strangers and people. Mm. And it, to me, I as I was reading that, I was like, oh my gosh, it's like he's existing as a fat person in the world that preferences thinness because he has to worry about his space and being jostled and whether or not he's going to take up room and people are going to notice and what does he look like and the clothes he wears. Like the whole thing, I was just like, whoa, this is like exactly the sort of conversations that I have with people about like what it's like to take up space as a bigger human in the world. And I'm what they call small fat, but like still not a thin person. But it is crazy how much those things parallel each other that Simon is constantly mm. worried about how much his his body exists in space and then he goes on this whole thing about how handsome and beautiful and like adolescence has just been so good for Baz he's just even better looking and can grow a beard the second he wants one like he just can't and he looks like a model even when he's not wearing a watch yeah Yeah. I mean he's just so smitten with him but he feels like this like lumpy uncomfortable unlovable thing and that really manifests in his physicality which I think is part of the discomfort with the PDA and I feel like Baz doesn't really, like, there's an element of Baz thinking there's a choice in how Simon feels because he talks yeah. about, you know, I don't care how this woman sees me at the, you know, if he's, she sees me and Simon together, it makes her uncomfortable. I don't care, but he cares. And yeah. I don't know, there's, like, there's an undercurrent of it as, like, he kind of wishes Simon would just not care. Like, he says to him, some people are just not going to like you, you know. Yeah, but then he says, does I it, didn't does... like you for years, which is not helping. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's yeah, kind yeah. of like, Baz has decided not to care. Like, he tells himself he doesn't care. I think he does still internalize a lot of that stuff. But he, he's told himself, like, he doesn't care. He's not going to let that change his life. And you'll see the, the, the more flamboyantly he starts dressing as well, right? He's yeah. taking control of that. And I feel like maybe he thinks that, oh, Simon, you should just not care. But Simon can't not just care? He's yeah. Not, that's not a choice? Baz cares about the people that he cares about caring. He doesn't care about strangers caring. He doesn't care what other people who are not important to him think. Um, whereas Simon doesn't really, I mean, he really didn't have anyone for so long that I guess everyone matters. Everyone counts. He's mm. got to worry about everyone caring. That's kind of how I view it. But Simon has always been exposed to other people's expectations. When he was like the chosen one in the world of majors, everyone was yeah. judging him, watching him all the time, wondering if he was actually the chosen one. I feel like he's used to being judged and having to live up to expectations. And I think this is why it hits him so hard because he was foretold right he says that line i used to be someone of out of a legend i was foretold foretold you know i used to be part of the oral tradition which really annoys me because you're still part of the oral tradition you you didn't fail you did the thing you were foretold to do you've done the thing like it doesn't mean that you were a fraud but he feels like he's a fraud and that's like a real and we spoke about this when we did the first season of carry on right like we spoke Mm. about the expectations around magic and how it manifests and how that affects not only Simon, but Penny and Agatha and Baz. And I think Agatha in particular is so interesting because she expects she can just leave magic behind, right? But the way she feels about magic, I think is reflected in how she feels and like she doesn't belong in San Diego and she doesn't belong in the world because there's that line, you know, there's that conversation she has with Ginger about being activated, right? And she says, page 17, maybe some people are born inactive. And I feel like that's a direct parallel to how she feels she's not a powerful magician. Like, yeah. she is an active in her magic. Yeah. I found it really interesting, her entire 
thread about how she was so inundated with magic all around her. Magic was just such a big part of her life growing up that she realized she got to America and she realized she didn't even know how to tie her shoelaces because it had been done by magic her whole life and she left her wand behind on purpose to leave that behind because she didn't feel magical enough to be a mage and yeah there's just so much about Agatha that I really love. There's such a strong connection between Agatha's feelings towards magic and Simon's now that he doesn't have magic anymore right he doesn't want magic Mm. done on him he doesn't really want magic done around him in a lot of ways and Agatha feels that way as well about Penny in particular because Penny is so magical right like she talks about her being the magicest magic magician around like she will even have a spell to melt butter. All these unnecessary magics. And that's how Simon feels as well. Like, he also resents that kind of magic that comes from Penny that is almost intuitive. Like, she doesn't even think about it. Yeah. Yeah, she's just doing it because, like, for her, magic is as natural as breathing. But for Agatha, because it takes effort, it's a flex. It's holding a position like in ballet. It's not as natural. It's something she has to really concentrate on. And Simon doesn't have it anymore. It's very interesting. We haven't heard very much about Baz's magic at this point, but I think it becomes a feature later on when he goes to the the US and all of his idioms don't work. Yeah, because he's (laughs) Um, too posh. Too posh. (laughs) He only knows British idioms. Um, But yeah, Baz being powerful is quite understated, and I think that that goes along with the fact that he's so good looking and so like effortlessly handsome and put together. Um, It just isn't hard for him, whereas everything seems to be hard for Simon. And a lot of things are also hard for Agatha, but she was born into it and therefore has more access to it. But she's trying to push it away, whereas Simon wishes he could be part of it and always wanted to be part of it and never felt like he was, even when he had magic. And now he feels that's been proven true, right? Like, all his worst fears and expectations have been confirmed. Like, he expected to not belong. He expected to be a failure. And now it's Mm -hmm. been like, haha, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Simon. I know. It's just awful. I had a thought about Agatha that, you know, she's pushing Penny away. She's going, I've left all that behind. I've left Penny behind. We're not friends. I don't know why she wants to be. Like, she's trying to make this choice to leave her old self behind. But then, like, the second that her new friend says, hey, come do this thing with me. She's like, oh, I guess we're friends. Okay. She immediately falls back into the old habit of, like, making choices that go along with the group. Mm, and I thought that was really interesting because she's she's not interested in what Ginger is doing. She does not care about leveling up. She doesn't care about the program. She's having stimulants and dairy, and Ginger is like drinking beetroot juice. And Agatha does not care, but she's like, oh, but it's Ginger, so I guess I'll go along with it. It's just such a weird moment for me where I, where I was like, Agatha's not actually leaving anything behind. She's not actually putting her foot down and changing her behavior. She's just done the same thing, but like, I guess, non-magically in a different country. I don't think that Agatha's wrong, though, about Penny when she says she just wants me in her life now because she's always I've always been there before. She's holding on to the past as desperately as I'm trying to run from it. I think there is a matter of Penny trying to reconstruct the past because in the past she knew what the parameters were. She's in this Mm. world now where she doesn't know where the boundaries are. You know, she doesn't know what to do with Simon. She wants to fix things and she knows that she could control it in the past. So she's trying to recreate the conditions. And I think that's the way she dresses as well. Like, I think in the future chapters, they talk about how she sort of mimics the Watford uniform. Yeah. How she dresses. Like she wears the same colors. Yellow and purple or purple and And knee socks and Mm. yeah she's sort of holding on to what she knows right yeah i wonder if that's just because it's easier but i also think that penny really thinks that she's friends with agatha and just hasn't got the memo penny is not the easiest person to get a concept through to her which we will see later 
I think she genuinely never gives anyone a choice about anything. Like, especially in this. Yeah. She just steamrolls. Like, she's steamrolling everyone. She steamrolls Simon with magic. She steamrolls Agatha with messages, despite Agatha actively trying to tell her, please don't message me, I need space. Yeah. And then with this trip, she's like, oh, I've bought the tickets. Like, she just comes in and she's just like, this is what we're doing. And she doesn't listen when people talk to her. Yeah. She feels like it's her responsibility to fix things, to keep things moving. And, I mean, at one point she says relaxation is the insidious humdrum. Like, yeah. she is like a shark. If she doesn't keep moving, she will die. That is how Penny approaches life. And right now that the War of Mages is done, like, she wanted to be a teenager before all of that time ran out. But the expectation was that she would be able to settle into a different life. And she hasn't. And she doesn't know what to do with that. So she's putting it on fixing Simon now that she's got through her first year of uni. And she's like, right, we've done all our exams. I have to fix Simon. There's time for it now. So it's going to happen. And so, yeah, you're right. She does just steamroll and, like, blitz through and do what she views needs doing without actually taking anybody else on board. But I will say in her defense, she's not wrong about Simon. She does know him better than almost anyone. I think, Mm. I think that they are the two that know each other the best. Yeah. And just the fact that she's not in a really great place at the moment either and can't see that for what it is, is a factor, but because she's so capable, it's hard for her to like stop and reassess so she's just moved on to the next thing to fix. So she's done her uni first year. Tick, tick, tick. Done that. Now it's time to fix Simon. She's going to do it. Tick, tick, tick. We're going to do it together. It's going to be great. We're going to pick Micah up. We're going to go see Agatha. It's going to be just like old times, but no war. And she doesn't really have a concept of what life will be like, but she's hoping that she can figure it out just by doing, I think. I think there's a lot of expectations in that and like how she mm. expected it would go. Like She kind of expected, okay, the war is done. We've defeated the humdrum. She sort of expected Simon would be okay. Like, she knew he wasn't okay, but she thought the victory of it would be enough, you know? Yeah. And, like, Baz thought the love would be enough. There's this expectation that, I guess, Baz had of his relationship with Simon now and yeah. what that would look like that's not being met. Penny's expectation of a post-war life is not being met. But also her expectation of what it's like to be a teenager, right? Like, oh, we're going to move to London. We're going to do this thing. I'm going go to go we're going to go to uni. Like, there's expectations that come with that that you think your life is going to be like yeah. that aren't being met. And now they're doing it again. With America, like Simon has this montage in his head of what it's going to be like, you know, that Penny thinks it's going to be a certain way. And as we know, having read the book before, that's not how it's going to go. But this is the expectation. And so often in life we do that. We go into something with this kind of movie cookie cutter idea in our heads. And I think often with big things like, you know, you're being a student or a wedding is a great example. People have clear expectations of what their weddings are going to be, which is why they get so stressed out about it. Look, you don't remember it. I have been married. I have had a wedding. The parts I remember are fantastic. You just have to accept that what happens is what happens. And there will be someone who breaks the glass and there will be an uncle who gets too drunk. And like these things are going to happen. Penny doesn't have a lot of room for adjusting expectations because she has her own expectations and she just applies them to everyone else. She and Baz, I think, are similar enough academically that she's like, oh, well, that makes sense. Simon will be as well. But he's never been interested in school and he doesn't like it. So uni is not going to be a good fit for him either, right? Mm, Yeah. Things like that where they haven't really thought through what it's going to look like to be adults because... Well, Simon never thought he would live that long. Mm. But yeah, Penny doesn't isn't very good at adjusting expectations. She doesn't have that flexibility, really. But she does care, which I think... I'm a bulldozer as well when I when it comes to people I care about. Like, I will aggressively care for them. So I really relate to Penny in this moment where she's like, I will fix you. Here I am. Here are my plans. Yeah, I do wonder sometimes, though, if it doesn't feel a little bit impersonal. 
in that space. Like when you're the person being steamrolled, sometimes it feels like it's not about you. It's about the person mm. doing it. Like it doesn't feel like it's about Simon. It doesn't feel like it's about Baz. It actually is about Penny and how Penny envisions the world. And she needs them to be better because that's what she needs. And so it kind of takes yeah. the ownership and the agency from them, which yeah. feels a bit gross yeah, when you're on I, the receiving end. You I know? think both things can coexist. She can care for them and want them to be better and not know how to do that really well. And she can need to be better herself and not understand that that's part of her motivation. And I think we'll see this in the third book, like, play out a bit more, right? Oh, for yeah. sure. She actually gets a huge shock and is like, whoa, and I I really can't wait to dive into that, however many books away it is. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry, we're going to leave you all hanging. We're doing this book and then we're doing another one, so you'll have to wait. That is the way. <laughs> Hey, I wanted to just flag how this book is actually quite... Well, no, there's actually the series talking about sexuality and how sexuality isn't a choice, right? Because I yeah. feel like we have this moment with Agatha where she's thinking about Ginger mm. and she's sitting on the beach and she's still, you know, so she says, I, I could have kissed her and I still wish sometimes that I wanted to on page 18. And, you know, you can't just decide. You can't just decide that this is what you're going to do. Like, I feel like Agatha, obviously we know that you know, spoiler, but in book three, she does meet someone and she does want to kiss that person, right? Yeah. But here, she's she's thinking about it, but it didn't feel right. And that's not because she's not gay. It's just because it's not the right person. And you can't just yes. decide that you're going to be queer or you're going to be gay or you're going to hook up with someone. You can't just make that decision because sexuality isn't a choice, I think. It, you have to feel it. You still have to feel it in your body. Yeah. You have to feel it in yourself. Like, love and attraction and sexuality are not choices necessarily but relationships are choices that's the line that i would draw and like agatha has a friendship with ginger that she continues to choose because ginger is easy for her to be friends with and accepts her for being a little bit offbeat if that makes sense mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. it's not something that she's like we're attracted to each other we want to be friends it's just that they were both lonely at the same time in the same place which sounds an awful lot like her and simon yeah just ending up being like each other's placeholder partners during high school just saying. Just feel like there's a little parallel there. It's I better the being lonely together, though, I think. Yeah. Yeah. She's not good at being by herself, and she doesn't really know what to do with herself. She's too used to being part of something, even if it's not something she wants to be part of anymore. She just doesn't know who she is. It's kind of like when you leave a cult. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My main takeaway from, from Agatha in this section is that she really wanted to leave everything behind and she thought that she chose that, but unfortunately she brought herself with her. And so she didn't choose that, but that's what happened anyway. So now she has to deal with what that's like. And even her running away to America wasn't really like, yes, she chose it, but it wasn't her idea. You know, she saw that mm. Lucy had done it and Lucy had run away to America. And so she takes this dog that's not even hers. Poor yep. Lucy. <laughs> Names it Lucy and then takes this idea of this woman that she's decided is living the life that she wants to live. Yeah. She doesn't know that, but, you know, it's not like she came up with it organically by herself. Yeah, exactly. It was like someone else's escape plan and she was like, that sounds good. I'll just adopt that. Mm. Of all of them, I think Agatha might be the most lost. Penny is doing a similar thing, but Agatha has decided that she's not lost. She's fine. But I feel yeah. doing the same thing, right? I feel like Penny isn't so much lost because Penny sort of, I feel like Penny is confident in what she wants to do with her life. Yeah. But it's everything else she hasn't figured out. She hasn't really figured out how she as a person fits into that plan. Um, I think the only thing I had for expectation was that um, Penny and Baz don't ever leave Simon alone if they can help it. I thought that they were hmm. worried that something might happen. 
expecting something bad to happen. That was the only other thing that really jumped out at me. But I think we've talked about everything else. Yeah, I just wanted to flag again. We spoke about this a lot when we read Carry On, but there's a real expectation of how magic works that they really struggle to let go of. Like Simon's wings, the whole conversation about that, being like, why does he still have the wings? The wings shouldn't still be there. Yeah. And then Baz and Penny not knowing any engine spells and Baz being like, well, I better save my magic in case I need to float like a butterfly the whole <laughs> plane. Like, it's just so silly. Would it work, though? I don't think the plane would have enough people to conjure magic. And if they're over the ocean, then, right? <laughs> like, I'm now worried about this. Is the plane a quiet zone? I feel like he's only doing it to appease Simon because Simon's nervous about flying. Bless. Yeah. That's another expectation. Baz's expectation around it not being first class. <laughs> that cracked me up. <laughs> I can keep a low profile in first class, Penny. Oh, so Baz. I feel like he's not wrong. If she's already stealing and counterfeiting passports and stuff why stop there why not just go to first class like come on she doesn't Penny. stop there she's a one woman crime spree this whole book is a one woman love... crime spree yeah, and i love that it's so clear as well like <laughs> I mean, the I one thing keep a tally of the, um, the amount of illegal things they do so illegal plane tickets passport thievery yeah and i love that bears flags you know the one thing we don't do is counterfeit money because we can crash the world economy and that's all penny's going to be doing for ages just like <laughs> the whole time she's just stealing because she's like it's fine we need it she's she's such a ravenclaw <laughs> like if you can justify it it's good right like if you can logic your way through it it's valid i'm not doing it for nefarious purposes so therefore it's fine yeah yeah it's ethical because i say so no that's not how it works <laughs> oh my gosh um are you ready to move on to tangential do you have any yeah go for it go for okay it, so one of the tangential things that I loved was Simon admitting he was nervous saying, I'm just nervous. I've never flown before. And then Baz is laughing because like you have wings. <laughs> he goes in a plane, in a plane. But it made me laugh too because yeah, he has flown heaps. He flies through the air all the time on his wings that he grew out of his back. <laughs> and he likes to fly. He enjoys it. Just let him fly around. That's one of my tangentials actually, because he talks about his wings, right? Page 11, he says, I don't want them to disappear. That's a lie. I want them gone. I want to be myself again. I want to be free, but I can't yet. I can't explain why not, not even to myself. I really want to track Simon's relationship with his wings because there's some sort of metaphor involved there with his wings and magic and how he feels because he wants them gone, but he also mm. doesn't. Like he doesn't like when they've magicked away, but they also restrict his movement in the world, right? And he doesn't know how to yeah. control them yet. So it's just an interesting thing to keep an eye on, I think. That's a good thing to track. I have thoughts about it. I'm not sure if I'm right, but I do have thoughts about it. I feel like it's something to do with how it was the last bit of magic that was in him that he can see, so he doesn't want to let go of it, even if it's hard for him to live with it. Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, if the wings are gone, then he's normal and he doesn't want to be normal even though he does yeah. because it will make his life easier and he thinks you know that i need to live my life as a normal i need to just accept it mm -hmm. letting go of the wings and is an acceptance of that that he's not willing to do because he knows in his heart deep deep down that he's actually not normal right like he's no. not a normal capital n but yeah no oh my poor little baby he needs a cuddle and really a lot of therapy my other tangential was just page 20 when <laughs> Agatha's talking about Josh and leveling up. She's like, Josh and his friends are obsessed with leveling up and maximizing potential. It's such toxic positivity from these now next people. Like, honestly, they need to chill out. <laughs> How so activated funny. are you? 15% activated. That is such me vibes. <laughs> I've been holding steady at 15 for months. I know. The whole time I was reading it, I'm like, how is Jen both Agatha and Baz at the same time? <laughs> 
<laughs> I think they're quite similar Agathon bears, actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Simon has a type. Yeah. Yeah, like, really capable, smart, amazing people. One who's relentlessly... Like, he needs an April and an Andy in his life, and, like, Penny Baz and Agatha combined are that. He is champion, the three-legged dog. That's my headcanon for how it works. <laughs> Aww. Um, I really wanted to mention one of the things I really loved was Simon's beautiful little vision of what would happen, you know. And for a moment, I can see it. The three of us speeding down some abandoned motorway, no highway, in an old convertible. I'm driving. We're all wearing sunglasses. We're listening to the doors, and Baz is complaining about it. But he's got a shirt unbuttoned to his navel, so I'm not complaining about anything. The sky is huge and blue and full of lens flare. America. This is such a good passage because it completely encapsulates what road trip Americana is like. And having spent a significant portion of my childhood in cars going on road trips, I can tell you, it is big. There is a lot of sky full of lens flare, and you do listen to a lot of the radio. But I've never had my shirt undone with my navel, so I can't speak to that. But it is really, like, very evocative. And I feel it, too. When I read that, I was feeling that heat and the wind and the highway and, like, just the, the promise and potential of, of going somewhere where everything is so much bigger. It's a beautiful moment. That's always been one of my dreams is to do the great american road trip like drive east coast to west coast Mm. in a convertible like i would love to do that still even though america terrifies me i think it's probably fine (laughs) probably fine you have an australian accent so everybody's gonna be so excited to talk to you like don't want to talk to people can you just come with me and do the talking please yes but i don't sound australian enough well actually the last time i was in oregon someone was like where are you from and i'm like right here 20 (laughs) miles away from this exact walmart I was born around the corner, just literally, in that hospital. I sound very different. But yeah, I'll do as much talking as possible, but uh, it's going to go with my accent. My fake Australian accent will go away quite quickly. Aw, cute. But I do love talking to people, so of course I'll do all the talking for you. It's the American way. I'll just deploy you when I need tactical Australian and Kiwi accent help. Can do, can do. Um, Did you have any other tangential marginalia? No, I think I've actually covered all mine. Me too. Um, Should we move on to in-depth? Sure thing. All right, what did you have? So my in-depth marginalia is on page 14. It is Penny's section when she's thinking about how everything's played out after the humdrum and the mage and her expectations of what life was going to be and how now it's not. And, you know, she'd hoped winning would be enough, but now she's like, it was a mistake to think that was the end. And the particular quote I've chosen is page 14. Bad things happen and then they stop, but they keep wrecking havoc inside of people. I think this relates to our theme of choice because I think sometimes people think it's a choice that you're not moving on from terrible things or bad things or things that have hurt you or some kind of trauma. People are like, why don't you just get over it? Just get over it. Why don't you get over it? Like, like it's a choice. And I think there's an expectation that you should be okay now because it's done, right? So whether someone has hurt your feelings, that could be some, you know, a friend has said something hurtful. They're like, well, I've apologized, so you should just be over it that doesn't often happen and like that's not a choice that you can make about like I can't just choose not to care about this like to a certain extent you can choose to care about things or not but in a lot of ways when it comes to trauma that is not a choice that you're making I was thinking of Harry and Sirius like after Sirius's death how Harry is really in a bad place and everyone is just like he's moody Harry he's caps lock Harry and no one likes him right like he's just horrible to be around he's really difficult to be around and no one really gives him any closure on that. Like, I keep thinking about the fact that Sirius never had a funeral or anything like that. There was never any dealing with it. He was just expected mm. to continue on with life. And then they yeah. cut him out of all the goings on, you know. It's just everything is so difficult for him. Yeah. It's just unfair. Yeah, it's just a lot 
for Harry to deal with and people just expect him to be okay because he's just continually dealing with trauma and when the event is over the end of the book people just expect him to be fine people expect him to be Harry and I just I really think about my own experience with trauma as well and with PTSD and how you don't realize that you know PTSD is just unprocessed trauma you don't realize that these things continue to live on inside of you and how long you can carry it without even realizing right and what things yeah. can set you off and make you feel terrible and you don't even realize that you were holding on to this emotion so I think going forward I just wanted to remember that emotions aren't really a one and done thing there are repercussions both in actions like how someone is hurting you but also in experiences and yeah sometimes you don't realize it for ages and you shouldn't feel bad about that when you realize that something is still with you or something is still wrecking havoc inside of you you shouldn't stand there and go I should be over this like this shouldn't bother me we are not our emotions I truly believe that is something that I've learned through therapy but your emotions are also valid and that's okay. It's okay to just be like, yeah, that's fine. This is what I'm feeling. It's not a good or bad thing. This is just the state that I'm in and that's all right. Yeah. Be the pond, not the fish. Exactly. I love that. Thank you. What was your in-depth marginalia? Uh, so I picked two that I'm going to link together. Um, mm. So on page seven, uh, Simon is working up the nerve to break up with Baz because he feels like this is the right thing to do for Baz. So he says, when someone shows you what they are, believe them. That's what I'm going to say when I break up with Baz. And then on page 8 he says, Baz fell in love with what I was. Power and potential unchecked. Nuclear bombs are nothing but potential. Now I'm what comes after. Now I'm the three-headed frog. The radioactive mm. fallout. So he wants to let Baz thrive and I think this is actually really like a loving choice that he's trying to make because he feels like he is not the right person like he sees Baz thriving and he wants Baz to keep thriving and he just feels like he is not the person to help him thrive and he feels ashamed of himself for not being the person that he was supposed to be like he's this failed power failed potential in his mind so he's afraid that Baz is staying with him for the wrong reasons like magical honor or whatever so he has this expectation that because he's not who he should be um you know, Baz is doing this thing that's not a choice. He's staying with him out of expectation that he should. Uh, or, you know, he feels sorry for him, but he shouldn't leave him. Like, he, he's got this really mixed up idea that Baz doesn't have a choice to stay with him. But the expectation is that he will, so he should. So Simon's going to set him free, but also self-sabotage, mm-hmm. right? Like, he's going to make the choice for Baz. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I wanted to talk about um, a translation of Orestes by Ann Carson, which I think has made the rounds on all of the social media. I've loved Ann Carson for a long time. She's a classicist. She does a lot of really good translations. Um, in Orestes, Orestes is about to be executed for matricide. He's gone mad waiting for Apollo to return, and he's trying to make sense of things while he waits for Apollo to return and like clear up why he had to kill his own mother. And his friend Pylades, who helped him kill his mom, tells him that he'll look after him and they can go together to like appeal to the townspeople to be like, please don't kill us. Orestes is like, rightly, look, I'm crazy. I'm having fits. I can't stand up by myself. My sister's been looking after me. It's like, it's going to be hard. And and Pylades says, no, I'll take care of you. Orestes replies, it's rotten work. And Pylades says, not to me, not if it's you. And now this is Mm. like super romantic. And in the context of the play, Pylades goes off to marry Electra. And Orestes is meant to marry Hermione, blah, blah, blah. But we'll ignore that. um, (laughs) Because there's something really lovely about that reply. It's not rotten work, not to me, not if it's you. Which is what Baz is Mm -hmm. saying on page six, right? Like, I've loved him through worse. I've loved him hopelessly. So what's a little less hope? Yeah. So I think going forward, it's really not easy to love people when they make it hard, when they're going through it, when they're depressed, when they're lying on the couch with a can of cider in their hand, when they're trying to be obnoxious, when they're just really having a rough time and making it your problem Mm. too. It's a feeling to love someone. And it's also a series of decisions. I think that's the choice part of it, is that you continue to still love and make it work and and try and reach for them um sometimes the expectation that it'll all be rosy and cheerful and warm is hard to accept when it doesn't come true we want the fairy tale but the grim reality of love is that 
it's something we have to do and work at to make sure that it sustains and endures. And yeah, it can be rotten work, but all I can really say is that people are worth it. Love is worth it. So Mm -hmm. put the work in and I mean, find somebody who will reach back. Such a good quote, that. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to talk about it a little more, that that particular play in my recommended reading, uh, but just for a few other wonderful moments in it. But yeah, (laughs) it's so good. So fun to read. Well, thank you for sharing. Uh, Did you now have a character to spotlight this week? Oh, yes. I'm going to spotlight Penny. She's the very epitome of a person who feels like it falls to them to fix everything. She's in full do-something mode, and she's been in do-something mode for like a decade. This girl Mm. needs a break, and she needs to realize that she is not the only person who can do stuff. One of the quotes that I have stuck up on my pegboard for myself is, don't just do something, stand there, which is like my reminder that I don't have to fix everyone's problems. Sometimes I just need to bear witness to them. Sometimes just being there and like helping them understand that they're not alone in this moment is enough. So let people kvetch and don't try and solve the problem. So I think Benny, mm. Penny really needs to hear that. Um, who do you want to spotlight this week? I'm going to start as I mean to go on and spotlight Baz because yeah. honestly, <laughs> that line, I have loved him hopelessly. What is a little less hope? Kills me. It kills me. I feel that it hurts me on every level, like on a cellular level. Mm. I just really feel for him because he is so unequivocally in Simon's corner. Like it's not even an option for him to whether yeah. he loves Simon or not. Like he's just going to be there. He's always going to love Simon. Like he doesn't even think about it. Right. It's just so in him and he just doesn't know how to tell him he doesn't know how to get Simon to believe him and I just really feel for him that he is also not having his needs met right he's not being loved in the way that he wants to be loved and he feels unloved and unwanted and he's got his own baggage and it's just horrible like he's felt himself drift away from this person he loves for months and he just doesn't know how to how to moor himself and it's just horrible so yeah spotlight for little poor little bears he's just trying 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 but he doesn't know how oh it's so much oh so many feelings so many feelings Okay, we're doing something new. We're going to do some homework for our listeners, mostly because our blog (laughs) about recommendations is, for some reason, impossible for us to be motivated to keep up. So I suggested that we just throw it in every week as like what we're doing, what we're reading, what we're what we recommend. So I'm calling it homework so that other people can feel motivated to do it if they wish. Do you Mm -hmm. have any homework for our listeners this week? So two things that I would like to ascribe this homework. Um, I'm currently reading I Kiss Sarah Wheeler by Casey McQuinston, who also wrote Red, White and Royal Blue and One Last Stop. Both great. Mm. But this book is so much fun. It's her first YA novel. Their first YA novel? I'm actually not sure what the, their pronouns are, so we'll go with they. Anyway, it's their first YA novel. It's just like The Breakfast Club meets Looking for Alaska. It's oh, like wow. really cool. All the characters are really interesting. I find it really compelling. I find it really funny um Mm. i'm only about halfway through but i'm really into it and i think it's a really good time and i think it's going to be like fist pump ending that i'm going to be very into so i'm going to recommend that and also yesterday my homie and i in between our diy task watched stranger world on disney plus which is a new disney film that Mm. came out in 2022 it is delightful it is so wholesome it's all about meeting people where they are and listening to them when they tell you who they are instead of like wanting them to be someone else or like following in your footsteps and having a legacy Mm. and it's about parents finding common ground with their children it's about living in harmony with your environment and actually just being a collaborative member of society also 
the lead kid is queer. It's just so wholesome and wonderful and it made me so happy. I really enjoyed it. So Stranger World would recommend. Awesome. I love that. I will go and check them out. I've been looking at I Kissed Jarrah Wheeler for a while now and thinking, should I read it? But I couldn't get through Red, White, and Royal Blue. I'm like the only person on the planet who hasn't read it yet. I read it. I didn't love it. I found Mm. it quite, you know, it was fine. But this one I really enjoyed. So I would recommend this. Okay, good. Usually if you enjoy a book a lot, then I'm going to like it. Hmm, it's just like interesting. It's, it does a lot of interesting things. Um, yeah, anyway, what was your homework for us? Well, I've been paging through Gail Carriger's excellent book, which is The Heroine's Journey, yet again. And like ostensibly it's a writing book, but I feel like if any our listeners are the kind of people who really love stories, they might appreciate just reading about a different way to look at stories. Um, so she talks about the difference between the hero's journey and the heroine's journey. And her main example for a heroine's journey is Harry Potter. And her hero's journey is that, like the one that she uses as an example, is the Wonder Woman movie, which actually makes sense. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, the difference is like in how the main character goes through and like what ends up happening. So in like a hero's journey, they end up like apart, separate, self-reliant. But in a heroine's journey, it's all about like a remade, found family or friendship group that helps like negotiate a better compromised ending. Um, so there's a lot of really d- cool differences. And I kind of think that like in this light, Simon is thinking he's in a hero's journey, but he actually needs to switch over to the heroine's journey. So I was like really enjoying thinking about this and toying with this and just reading through this book again. Um, And then I also want to recommend reading Orestes by Anne Carson because it's super short and super funny and very bonkers of a play. Like it's just ridiculous. All the things that happen, you're just like, it's like an episode of Arrested Development. Um, And the singing eunuch slave is a highlight and should be definitely appreciated so highly recommend that translation of Orestes by Ed Carson she breaks my brain in the best way great well I will definitely check that out because I've not read that one so I will add it to my list well okay then next week we'll be reading chapter 7 to 13 through the theme of commitment Woo-hoo. and yes our lovely characters will be in America so that should be interesting and it's <laughs> gonna be very exciting Thanks so much, Jen. I had such a good time. I'm glad we're back at it. Back at it with the new season. Can't wait to new get year, through this season. one. New, new us. <laughs> no, we're still the same us. We don't need to change. No, we're amazing. We're beautiful. We're wonderful. Yay. All right. Well, I'll see you next week. All right. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V. We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to hello at marginaliapod.com, check out our Instagram, or maybe dash off a quick review. You can also subscribe so you never miss an episode. Our music is by Scott Buckley, and the logo artwork is by Laura Cato. You can find detailed show notes for each episode and much more at our website www.marginaliapod.com. Special thanks to all the people in our various communities whose love and care sustains us. Without your support, we would be very sad little critters. We appreciate you. And to you, our wonderful listeners, thanks again for being here. We love spending this time with you. 